This has been an incredible week at Woodland. I, um, Wednesday night, we began a brand new series in the book of Revelation, and I trust that you'll come back and be a part of that and study God's Word as we go through this book chapter by chapter. And uh, we had a great crowd here Wednesday night as well. Uh, this week, a number of you were praying with me as um, I had the opportunity to minister at Life Challenge and do some leadership mentoring there afterwards. And there was this sense all week long that God was going to do something. It just, it was bubbling in my heart. And, you know, it's not one of those things, like I told you Wednesday night, when somebody shares their experience with you, you can be blessed by that and encouraged by that, but that's not the kind of thing you can take to the bank. But I've had enough of those kinds of things over the years that I just sensed the need to ask some of you to pray with me. And I wish you could have been there. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal day. I mean, when you see grown men with life-controlling issues just begin to break down and weep and, and seek God, it was, it was an incredible day in Life Challenge. And then afterwards, and I know that happened because we all agreed and prayed together. And the Bible says that some things don't happen unless we agree to pray and fast together. And, you know, we're in this 40-day period of fasting together, and I don't know what you've given up. That's not important. But it's something that we just remind ourselves, we need Jesus more than we need nourishment. We need Jesus more than if you've given up social media. That's not a sacrifice for me. I'd be happy to give that up. But we need Jesus more than social media. We need Jesus, and our nation needs the Lord. And then Friday night here at the church, um, our ladies' event, the sisterhood event they had, what an incredible evening. And I've gotten text messages that really should have gone to Becky, <laughs> but I've gotten text messages back from people who were here telling what God did in their life. And I expect him to do something even greater in this service this morning. First service was incredible. Let's just give the Lord a hand of praise today, would you? Hallelujah. Recently, I had a friend visiting Woodland and says, we don't clap in our church. I like it, but why do you do that? And I said, well, the Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. And there's a sense that when we clap our hands, you can read this in the scriptures well, that the enemy, that, that worship together just drives back the presence and the power of the enemy. And we don't ever want to be weird about that or anything like that, but the Bible says to do it, I want to do it. The Bible says forgive, I want to forgive. If the Bible says love, I want to love, and that's where we're at. We're in this series called This Is Us, and today I want to talk to you about your family. We've talked about marriage, we've talked about the purpose of marriage, we've talked about things that we wish you knew, or I wish I knew before I got married. And today I want to talk to you about four different rooms in your home. I want to talk to you about your family room. I want to talk to you about your dining room. I want to talk to you about your bedroom. And then I want to stick my nose in your bathroom. <laughs> I'm probably going to regret that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Those are four rooms I want to talk to you about in your home today. And if you grew up in Georgia in the 80s and the 90s when I served as the state youth director for Georgia, you know that my favorite song in those days was, Our God is an Awesome God. Does anybody remember that? 
And I still get a lot of messages and people will say, I remember when we used to sing Awesome God in youth camp or we'd sing Awesome God at youth conventions and, or you'd come to our church and we always had to sing Awesome God. And this week, it just, after I'd already submitted my outline to be put into your bulletins, I was reading my devotions in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14. I read this passage. Remember the Lord your God is an awesome God. Remember the Lord your God is an awesome God. And fight for your families. Remember the Lord your God is an awesome God. And fight for your family. Family's worth fighting for. Our marriages are worth fighting for. And our God, maybe we don't have the right context for that word awesome anymore because toothpaste is awesome in our society. I mean, a car is awesome. We greet one another, now that the Aussies have had some impact on our culture, we greet one another with awesome, man, just doing well. And, and yet awesome means that you would just literally fall down. There are no words to express or to comprehend the power. Our thoughts cannot comprehend just who God is. And Nehemiah tells the people of God, remember the Lord your God is an awesome God. And when you know that if God before you, who can be against you, then you can fight this fight with a determination to win. When you remember that God is with you, you can fight for your family and say, I'll not be defeated. And so, as we look at this today, I just ask you to remember and to hold on to that. God is an awesome God. And you are called to fight for your family, fight for your marriage. And you, by faith in God, you will overcome and you will win this battle. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? And you might say, Pastor, why are you telling me that? Because I see too, too many people, they give up. They give up on their marriages. They give up on their families. Sometimes they give up on their children. I can't tell you how many times ever, I'm just so tired of fighting. I don't know where you're at on this continuum of things, but it's never too late for things to change. It's never too late for there to be healing. It's never too late for there to be victory. It's never too late for there to be love and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit in your home. And, and now that I'm a grandfather, when Pastor Corey read that passage from Psalms 128 in the first service this morning, I thought about our three grandsons, mine and Becky's three grandsons, Nolan and Davin and Josiah. And as a pastor for over four decades, when people would talk to me about their grandchildren, I listened and I thought I understood. I've had grandparents cry about their grandchildren being wayward. I've had grandparents cry about some of the mistakes their grandchildren have made. And I've listened. And, and my grandkids are munchkins, okay? They are tiny guys. But now I really understand and I feel because I find myself praying every single day for those three boys that they'll grow up to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And so no matter where you're at on this continuum, whether you're a young parent or whether you're a grandparent, I'm telling you, remember, the Lord your God is an awesome God and fight for your family.
Amen? Stand with me and let's pray before we get into this this morning. Lord, I'm so thankful to serve you with my wife and my family. I remember 19 years ago when our superintendent installed me as pastor of this congregation. He said some words as he presented the staff to me that hangs above my desk. He said, God has not just called you, but God has called your family to pastor this church. And I'm so thankful, God, that I've been able to serve you for over 40 years with Becky. And that as I stand and preach this morning, God, with all my mistakes and all of our successes, Lord, it's from a pure heart, but it's also from a witness that everything that I'm going to share this morning is true, 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 and such good news. I thank you for children who love you, for grandchildren that will grow to love you. As I pray this prayer of witness, Lord, I pray as well that wherever folks are at this morning, that hope is going to be birthed in their hearts. God, that you can send revival. You can bring back that wayward son or wayward daughter. That you can heal that broken relationship. And Lord, that you can restore whatever the enemy has stolen from each family. You can restore that seven times over if we'll simply place our faith in you. So give us ears to hear and made up minds to apply what the word of God says to our lives today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Grab a pen and let's get started with this. Well, the first thing I'd like to say is everybody's got a family room of some sort is have fun in your family room. Enjoy the family room together. A family room ought to be a place where families know how to play and learn how to play and enjoy life together and enjoy playing together. And I can't tell you how many times I hear, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, pastor, you just don't understand. I come home from work and there's problems and I bring that negativity in. I don't mean to bring that negativity in and I understand all of that. There, stuff happens in life. Things happen that if we're not careful, we don't learn how to put some things in file 13 and leave them there until we come back to work the next morning. Sometimes there is a spouse that we're married to. It may be your wife, it may be your husband, that they are perennially a negative or a critical person and it's hard to deal with that and I guess I've heard just about every story that you could imagine or you could dream but somebody has to be willing to break those chains and to say our family is going to have fun and enjoy life together. Can you say amen to that? We're going to enjoy living together. What child wants to come home to parents that are negative? What child wants to come home from parents that are scrapping with each other? What child wants to come home to be fussed at after a full day at school? Oftentimes, parents will say to me, why do my kids always want to be somewhere else? And my answer to that is always simple. It's because that's a happy place that they're at. If you want your children to come home, be sure your home is a happy place. Be sure your place is a home that your kids want to come home and bring their friends to. When Becky and I first got married, she had several movies she wanted me to watch. I had never seen The Sound of Music before. 
And I remember we were watching this. Does anybody remember VHS tapes? We were watching this on a VHS tape, and, and the captain came out. He blew the whistle, and his children came marching in, and I kind of liked things in order. I said, that's cool. I like that. And boom, I got a big elbow in the side, and she says, you'll never be a good dad like that. And, and then Maria comes along, and everybody loves Maria, right? Because Maria makes people sing. Maria makes people laugh. And people are learning. Those children are learning lessons because Maria brings joy into their lives and happiness in their home and even a cold-hearted captain, Navy captain, suddenly becomes somebody that his children love to be around. Mom, dad, listen to me. God did not call you to be a drill sergeant. God did not call you to be a CEO. Your family is not a business. And God especially did not call you to be a scientist, always experimenting with your kids. God called you to be a daddy. God called you to be a mama. And God called you to love and raise those kids together in the joy of the Lord. Somebody give him a hand of praise this morning. Fun, fun in the family room. I know we're all familiar with this passage of scripture. The Bible says, if a man will not work, he should not I knew you knew that one. But did you know the Bible also tells us that we're supposed to have fun? Did you know the Bible also tells us we're supposed to enjoy our lives with one another? You see, for a child, play is work, especially for a preschooler, play is work. For a child, when they're playing, they're learning how to be more creative, they're learning how to be more inventive. When children are playing and role-playing, something is happening in their minds and they're growing, not into little midgets that will stay that way, but they're growing into adults and children that will thrive because creativity and health is tied together to play. It's the reason that we have this little saying in our culture that goes, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. See, you know these things. We know these things innately, but it's sometimes kind of difficult to practice them. Look at what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8.15. I recommend having fun. Say that with me. I recommend having fun. Say it again. I recommend having fun. Now, this time after we say it together, I want you to go, thus saith the Lord, because that's the word of God. I recommend having fun. Thus saith the Lord. Boy, you really got into that one. <laughs> you see, the Bible calls us to enjoy our lives. There's nothing better for people in this world than to eat and drink and enjoy life. That way, they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work that God gives them under the sun. I have shared with you so many times 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, where God says, He gives us richly all things to endure. Enjoy. Enjoy. Thank you. Not thus saith the Lord on that one, Dean, next time. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. Say that word with me. Enjoy. God calls us. God didn't create life to be a, a drudgery. God created life to be lived and to be enjoyed. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 8, and this is my confession of faith as a grandpa right now. When people live to be old, very old, say that with me, very old. Let them rejoice in every day of life. If I have to live on Tylenol, I'm going to rejoice in every day of life. I'll buy it by the five-gallon bucketfuls because I want my kids to remember me and my grandchildren to remember me as somebody that enjoyed life. And why does, why does God tell us this in his word? 
because you don't know how long you're going to live. You don't have a promise of this afternoon. You don't have a promise of tonight. You don't have a promise of tomorrow. And I'll also say this to you, before you know it, your children are going to be grown and they have left home and you're only going to have those memories that you've made with them. When I talk to my children and when I talk to your children, and I do, and you should remember, know this, a lot of times your kids will tell me the funniest stories about you, especially those in the very back of the church. They have no filter. <laughs> One of them told me recently, says, my mom and dad sound like monkeys when they're in the bedroom. <laughs> I said, really? He says, I mean it, Pastor, and I said, wow, that's interesting. Then they just started to make the sounds that monkeys make. So I just kind of had to quickly walk out. I'm telling you, they have no filter. So you don't want to go back there and ruin the, don't you talk to Pastor. May God put the fleas and ticks of a thousand camels in your marriage bed if you ever tell your kids not to talk to their pastor. You see, kids, they have this no filter and there's stability and there's love that they bring when they know that mom and dad enjoy life to one another. The Bible says children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Say it with me. Children are a gift from the Lord. One more time. Children are a gift from the Lord. And I know there have been times when all of us have felt like doing a gift exchange. Right? Maybe I could return this gift after Christmas time. <laughs> Stop it. You see, all of us go through this time in raising our children, but you see, God trusted you with your children. God gave you your children to love and to enjoy. And I don't know about you, but trust brings the best out of me. When somebody trusts me, it makes me want to do better and to be worthy of their trust. What's a gift? A gift is something that we give and we mean for it to be enjoyed. I gave Becky recently for Valentine's Day and normally we will share around the staff what we're gonna get our wives for Valentine's because ladies, trust me, us guys, we're always looking for recommendations. Tell us what you want. You would make our life a whole lot easier. If you did, there was a good amen right there. But I, I got Becky some because my son had sent her some uh, pretzels covered in chocolate. And you know, somebody in this church hasn't done that for me in a very long time. Used to make me pretzels covered in chocolate all the time, but I don't get those anymore. Just, just thought I'd toss that out. I wouldn't <laughs> call you out or anything by your name at all, but God knows who I'm talking to. <laughs> anyway. Becky was enjoying them, and so I went online and looked at what they offered, and she loves chocolate-covered strawberries, so I ordered her some chocolate-covered strawberries and some roses for Valentine's, and, and she opened them up, and she was excited and happy, and then it was so much fun to watch her enjoy one. Then she did something so cool. It's the reason I bought a dozen, by the way. She says, would you like one? I said, no, those are for you. And inside, I knew she was going to say that. She said, no, no, I'll enjoy it better if you'll have one with me. You see, there's something about a mother and a father sharing the joy of their children together. There's something that each of us bring to this that is totally different. 
And I know at times marriages have been broken and marriages have been cracked and sometimes you end up being a single mom. My, my dad was raised by a single mom because my grandfather died when my daddy was six and dad grew up without a, mom, without a father in a home. Becky's father grew up in an orphanage and he didn't grow up with either a mom or a dad. And so I know there's those extreme things, but I can tell you God was faithful to my daddy. God was faithful to Becky's daddy and God will be faithful to the childless. But to those of us that we've been blessed to raise our children together. Children are a gift that we enjoy sharing. And friends, please remember this. The way you make a happy home is by intentionally focusing upon having fun in that family room because your children will never remember the things you told them, but they will always remember how they felt in your home. Nobody ever remembers what you tell them, but they remember how they feel when they're in your presence. And think about how Jesus was shaped by his own mom and dad, Mary and Joseph. God trusted Mary and Joseph enough that the Virgin Mary would conceive Christ in her womb, but Jesus would be shaped by a loving hands of a carpenter who taught him carpentry. He would be shaped by a godly mother. There's something that happens in a home. And the Bible says, look at this, Jesus grew in wisdom, that's intellect. Jesus grew in stature, that's physical health. Jesus grew in favor with God, that's spiritual maturity. And Jesus grew also in favor with all the people. That's called social maturity. That's the will of God to happen with every one of your children and your family. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning as well? The second thing I'd like you to take a look at is nourish them in the dining room. Nourish them in the dining room. And don't worry, I'm not going to talk to you about healthy food right here. I know that some of you would like me to do that, but I'm having fried chicken and mashed potatoes right after church this morning. So this sermon will be brief. (laughs) Nourish them. Nourish them in the dining room. Did you know in the book of Luke, there are nine milestones? Write this in the side of your outline. There are nine milestones in the book of Luke in Jesus' life, and every one of them revolve around food. Every one of them revolve around being at the table. One of them was the Passover meal. One of them was when he had lunch or dinner with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees watched in horror as this sinful woman came in and bathed his feet with tears, and she was repentant of her sin, and they all thought to themselves, if, if Jesus was really a man of God, if he was really a truly the Messiah. He would never allow this sinful woman to touch him. But you see what God is really like and how Jesus treated this woman. He not only allowed her to touch him, he touched her. God is not afraid of your sin. God is not ashamed of your sin. God has come to redeem us from all of our sins and make brand new creations out of us. And he looked at these self-righteous, hypocritical, religious Pharisees and he said to them, you haven't even extended to me one kindness such as the washing of the feet, which was customary in those days. But this woman has bathed me, bathed my feet with her tears. She has found a place in the kingdom of heaven. There was another time when, a, when Matthew, who was a tax collector, remember there were Pharisees and publicans and tax collectors. They were at the very, very bottom of the social stature. They were hated. And Jesus goes to Matthew's home and he has dinner because Matthew invites all of his lost friends. Matthew invites all the publicans. You thought I was going to say republicans but he bought all the publicans, he bought the tax collectors, he invited the prostitutes, he brought them all together 
and Jesus had dinner with them because God loves lost people. And aren't we glad of that? Because Jesus loves lost people, we've been born again. Let's give him another hand of praise this morning. Nine times, just in the book of Luke, you read about Jesus having fellowship around the table. I want you to look at this passage from John 12, 2. Lazarus and his sisters invited Jesus to dinner at their home. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those sitting at the table with them. Now, this is a little different setting. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, they love Jesus. Matter of fact, we read more about Jesus being in their home than anybody else's home. Wouldn't you have loved to have been at that table with friends of Jesus? And that's just what happens every time you get together as a small group. Jesus is there. He's that unseen guest every time one of our small groups meet. And that's why it's so important because as much as we'd have liked to have been at this table, he is at your family table, but he's also at your small group table. And let me just kind of run you real quickly because you know this, but maybe you haven't thought about it as being biblical. This is what happened. This is why in Western culture, we do what we do. So much of our Western culture has been shaped by Christianity. And the first thing that would happen, you see Jesus doing it all the time, he blessed the food. And I know you never sit down to the table and just start eating, but you always give God thanks for the food, right? You always bow your heads. And in our home, I pray. I don't ever pray the same thing, but I ask God to bless the food, and I give God thanks for the food. I can remember watching my father as he would lead us in family prayer around the table. And one time my dad says, God, thank you so much for providing, and thank you for giving us this food. And I remember when daddy finished praying, I asked him right there at the table because dad Daddy grew everything we ate. We grew our own beef. We grew our own pork. We grew our own vegetables. About the only thing we ever bought from the store was flour, sugar, and oil and stuff like that. But I said, Daddy, you provided this. You grew this. Daddy, you, you harvested all of this for us. And my dad taught me such wisdom in those days. He says, son, the only reason we're able to grow things is because God gives us the earth and the sun and the rain. God gives us the seed. God gives us the physical strength. God gives us the know-how. Everything that's on this table wouldn't be possible because of God. And as a young boy, that was being pressed into my mind. And as we pray and we ask God to bless the food, we're shaping our children's thoughts about where, what we have. And that's why it's so important we just don't mutter, God, we thank you for this food, blessed amen, and go to it. But we give God thanks. Sometimes I'll ask Becky to pray, and Becky will pray so differently over the table or one of the kids to pray. But what I'm trying to get you to see, that part of our custom, and I've been around the world many places where they don't pray and ask God's blessings, and they never connect the fact that we have what we have because we have a good and gracious Heavenly Father. The second thing that happened was a distribution of food, and there was always an order in a Jewish family of how food was distributed, and in our home, the way we've done it is that Becky and Amy go first, and the boys and I go last, and let me tell you something, if we didn't send Becky and Amy first, my three sons would have gobbled everything up on the table, okay? I don't know about your boys, but there were never any leftovers at our house because everything was consumed. And after the distribution of the food and we sat down and we began to eat, we just went around the table and I'd say to Andrew, how did your day go? And sometimes there was nothing really to report, but my, I remember one time he's telling us about some weights he lifted or telling us about a world history class he was taking and dad, did you know, Chris, how did your day go? And one time in particular, I remember Chris saying, well, I'm working on a sculptor 
were there at Woodhaven High School. And uh, I said, well, I really would love to see it. And he goes, Dad, it's not that good. And Chris was always a little more bashful than the other three children. And, and I said, well, Chris, you know, what is it? And he says, it's not much, Dad. And he didn't want to tell us. And kind of Becky knew how to just draw him out. And pretty soon he was telling Becky about a rose and a cross he was building and how his industrial arts teacher at school that was teaching him welding was encouraging him with it. And so when he got finished, we practically had, it was like pulling teeth to get him to bring it home so we could see it. And when we saw it, we were amazed. And we convinced him to enter it into the National Fine Arts Festival. And out of the thousands and thousands of art pieces that year, Christopher's won first place that year. What he thought wasn't much was really something great. And I think that had a lot to do with him becoming a missionary architect. And so you see that family conversation as you work around the table. And then once the meal is over, mama doesn't get up and clean up. We all get up and clean up together. I remember one time, there was a big amen from Becky. I remember one time in Georgia before we moved up here, the boys and I were watching a football game on TV and we had just left the table because it was exciting. And all of a sudden we sat down and this was in the days of Promise Keepers. Does anybody remember Promise Keepers, the big stadium events? Well, we sat down and all of a sudden I heard Becky and them cleaning up the table and they would have let us watch football, but I felt so guilty. I knew we should be helping. And I thought, well, I'll wait till commercial. And I still felt guilty, so I said to the boys, boys, this is not right. Let's go help your mama and Amy clean up the kitchen. And Andrew goes, I hate promise keepers. <laughs> True story. You see, we're teaching, we're nourishing. And friends, if you're not growing, you are boring. Think about that. If you're not growing as a mother or father, if you're not growing as a parent, if your children aren't growing, your life becomes boring. There's something about nourishing and growing together in Christ. A study from Columbia University said that children that eat with their families at least three to four nights a week, listen to this, they're healthier, they have fewer problems with weight, they're emotionally healthier, better grades, and they're less likely to smoke, drink, or abuse drugs. I submit to you this morning, one of the reasons that Jesus grew in stature, he grew in favor with God and with man, one of the reasons he grew is because a Jewish family would have always had dinner together. And so I want to encourage you that you're going to take time. Now, when you get my age, sometimes you're going to say things that you know just need to be said. And I'm going to say something that just needs to be said because when I have talked to a few people about this point before I got here and did this message, Pastor, we just don't have time. Look at me. Look right here. Listen to me. You have time for baseball, basketball. You have time for every traveling team. You have time for band. You have time for school events. You have time for work events. You make time for everything else but what is really important and significant in the life of your children, and that's being together as a family. I have seen too many parents obsess over getting the right things behind their kid's name so they can get a scholarship and go on and make big money. Those kids grow up, many of them frustrated because they don't have happy memories at home. They know how to make money, but they do don't know how to build a life. They know how to make money, but they don't know how to build a life because your insecurities about them getting a scholarship is 
been more important to you than about their growing in health. You don't have to be living so slavishly to those kind of schedules. You can do a few of everything. You can have one sporting event or one schooling event, but your kids need youth ministry at the church and your kids need dinner time around your table. Give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning. See, what's happening is when you're eating around that table, your kids are learning how to grow in their emotions. They're learning how to handle their emotions. They're learning how to express their emotions. They're learning what a healthy emotion is and an unhealthy emotion is. They're learning how to respond correctly to emotion. They're learning how to respond healthily or unhealthily because there's dynamics that happen at the table when the family eats together. You're learning how to handle conflict because some of your kids are skunks and some of your kids are turtles. Skunks, they get mad and they just blow up and stink up the whole place. And turtles, they get mad and they pull into their shell because they're afraid they're going to get hurt. And friends, it always works out like this. Skunks and turtles marry each other. (laughs) Skunks and turtles marry one another. Yesterday, somebody told me there's a family in our church that's got a skunk in their basement they're trying to get out. I laughed so hard. That was cruel, wasn't it? I should have offered to go over and help get the skunk out. But I offered one of you men here in the church to help them and said, you see, your kids are learning how to be martyrs. They're learning how to be manic. They're learning how to be mute. Or they're learning how to be strong in the Lord and accept who they are. And that's what happens When families have fun in the family room, families take time in the dining room. The Bible says, and if you'll just skip to the last verse in this point there, guys, because of time. If you plan to do evil, you will be lost. But if you plan to do good, you will receive unfailing love and faithfulness. Read that last part with me. If you plan to do good, you will receive unfailing love and faithfulness. And friends, I can't imagine anything more blessed than to receive the unfailing love and faithfulness of a husband and wife, of sons and daughters in a small group and a church. You are highly loved and highly valued. Amen. You are. Number three. Third thing is, and I owe all of this to my wife right here, respect the sanctity of the bedroom. Respect the sanctity of the bedroom. When Andrew was born, Becky put this beautiful little bassinet at the end of our bed, and, and uh, she made him sleep in the bassinet at night. She'd nurse him, put him to sleep, and cover him up, and she just was a marvelous mom, still is, but I remember as soon as he got old enough, she took him and put him in the nursery. And I was like, oh no, leave him in here a little while. She says, no, he needs to learn how to sleep in his room. This is our room. I go, he's just a baby, you know? She goes, no, he needs to learn how to sleep in his room. Honey, if God gives us more children, you and I won't have any space of our own. Those were wise words because three more came. And by teaching them how to respect the sanctity of our bedroom. They've always been welcome, but they've always known to knock. They've always known to knock on the door. They've always known they're welcome to come in. And I 
I'm forbidden to work in our bedroom. I can't write a sermon in our bedroom. I can't work on a budget in our bedroom. I, I can't even take a, a work-related, pastoral-related phone call in the bedroom unless it's late at night. And typically, Becky answers those because she never knows what I'm going to say when it's late at night. Somebody called one night after midnight, and I don't even remember this, but she told me the next morning, she says, you answer the phone, and you said to them, do you know what time it is? And she said, they must have told you because you said to them, why aren't you asleep? And she said, I just reached over and took the phone away from you and says, forgive him. He's a hard sleeper, you know. And whatever it was, she told me about it the next morning. I would have been dust a long time ago if it wasn't for Becky. (laughs) But the sanctity of the bedroom is important. It's a place where you go and you celebrate your love and you celebrate your life together and you enjoy life together. These are biblical principles that you teach your children. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 7. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Teach your children why your bedroom is a sacred place. Oh, when I traveled and there were so many nights, those 12 years, I would fly in and I'd come home and I'd wake up the next morning and the kids would be in the bed beside me. That was a kind of a different story because dad had been gone for a long time, especially if I'd been overseas for any length of period of time. But by and large, our bedroom was a sacred place for us. But we taught our children why it was. Look at Psalms 51 and verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Now I promise you, this is not the message that I told you is coming on sex that I want your children to hear. But I want you to listen to what the concern of many Christian psychologists and many Christian counselors are right now. People have become so confused about their marriage. People have lost the spark in their marriage that they're looking to the world and they're imagining scenarios in their bedroom from the world. Things such as illicit affairs or trying to have erotic movies into their homes or trying to recreate something because of spark. You are not going to learn how to have a happy, healthy, holy marriage from the world. You will only learn it by applying the principles of God to your life. The world has nothing to teach us about sex and sexuality. They don't. There's not a single Hollywood actor that you need to go listen to about sex and sexuality. They can't even live their own marriages together. One of the reasons there's so much gender confusion right now in our society, according to these counselors and these psychologists, is this. Marriages have been breaking up so rapidly and kids have been shuttled back and forth. Multiple bed partners with moms or dads coming in and out of their homes. The children are confused about who they're supposed to be because little boys learn their masculinity from their daddies and little girls learn their femininities from their daddy as well. A little girl learns how to be treated like a young lady by her dad. She learns the difference between a kiss from her father and a kiss from somebody else. She learns how his dad kisses mom is different than how he kisses, how dad touches mom is different than how he touches her. She learns how to be a thinking human being. It's a part of respecting the sanctity of a bedroom. And then let me take you to Proverbs chapter five and verse 18. I love this passage. 
Enjoy the wife you married as a enjoy the wife you married as a young man. Lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. And everybody said, amen. That was the most masculine amen I've heard all morning. <laughs> Look at it. It's thus saith the Lord. Enjoy your wife. Come on, victory. <laughs> That's thus saith the Lord. Enjoy your marriage. One man wrote me last week and he says, I'm just an ATM card now. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. I rebuked that when I read it. I've been praying a holy fire of romance down on your home. And remember, God answers my prayer. <laughs> and he answers yours too. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your marriage, enjoy your home. The greatest gift you can give to your kids is that you love each other. Because when you do that, you're showing them how to have peace and happiness and holiness. And I know I enjoyed sharing with you what the little child, the little munchkin said this morning. But do you realize what a happy, healthy, holy experience for that child to grow up knowing my mom and dad enjoy their marriage. I'm looking for someone as a marriage partner in my life that I can enjoy doing life with. It's so important. And then finally this morning, I go where fools tread to tr fear to tread sometime. I'm going to your bathroom. I'm going to the one upstairs, not the one downstairs. The one that you always keep clean and keep, I've got several ladies shaking their heads right now. I know the one downstairs, that's the one you got the pretty candle in, that's the one that you got the towels that you're not supposed to dry your hands upon. That's the one that you have for show. We're going to go upstairs to the one that's got towels on the floor and a wet bar of soap in there and we're going to go to the bathroom this morning. It's restroom break time because everybody needs a shower. Everybody needs a shower. And we had one of these kids, and I bet you've got one of these kids. Didn't think he needed a shower. Everybody in the whole family says, you need a shower. Dude, you need a shower bad. And then he did this, I don't stink. Dude, you can't smell yourself, you stink. You hit the shower. I've seen Becky walk into the room with two cans of Lysol doing this. Mom, mom, get out. It's just not until you clean, and, and then these deadly words, if you don't clean this room, I'm going to clean this room. You see, everybody needs a shower, and what I'm talking about here is forgiveness this morning. You see, all of us need forgiveness in our lives. All of us, and I want you to listen to me. If you're not a Christian, look at me right now, everybody in the room, because I don't want anybody to feel excluded. If you're not a Christian, God has you here for, you're not here by an accident today. You're not here by happenstance and you're going, you preacher, I chose to come here. There's a bigger God and a bigger hand behind your life than you've ever dreamed of. So get off your high horse. There's a God that loves you. There's a God that cares about you. There's a God that wants to save you. Look at this next passage. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in the world. There's a little Jamaican song I love. I've got all the time in the world. Don't you want some of it? And God is here to give you his favor and his grace. 
Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in the world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. What is grace? Grace is when God gives me what I don't deserve. Grace is when God gives me a new life. Grace is when God gives me forgiveness. Grace is when God gives me salvation. Mercy is when God doesn't give me what I do deserve. Get it? Mercy is when God doesn't give me the punishment for my sin, the death penalty for my sin. But you see, we have to own our sin. We have to confess our sins. We have to understand when we've sinned. I don't know of anybody that doesn't want to be free. But if you'll let me kind of run two tracks here at the same time. Some of you have been dragging your sin around with you for a long time and you've not confessed it and you know that it's hurting your life. You know it's destroying your life. And God brought you here this morning so you could hear that there's a God who loves you. You could hear about a Matthew party. You could hear about a party of Pharisees that were so religious. There's not a lot of religious people around here. But you heard about a God that wasn't afraid to be touched by a lost woman. A God that wasn't afraid to touch a lost person. You've heard about a party where someone invited all their lost friends. You've heard what God is really like. That God is not this stiff-backed God that stays distant from us. But Jesus plunged headlong into our world and became one of us and was raised by a healthy mother and a healthy father in a healthy home so that he could show us what it was like to grow and become fully human and what a human's life should be like but yet show us what God's life was like and God wants to forgive us of every sin and if you really want to be free it starts with ownership and saying to the Lord forgive me of my sins forgive me of what I've done forgive me of how I've sinned against you and by the way, if you want to be free in relationships, you've got to be willing to say to one another, forgive me when you've sinned against one another. In the 70s when I grew up, there was a very popular movie that was a very foolish movie called Love Means Never Having to Say You're Sorry. What a stupid thing. You see, you have to own your sin. The second thing that you need to know is this morning is that when God forgives your sin, he washes it all away. But you need to know you've sinned against God. And if I sin against you, John, I've still sinned against God. That was the amazing thing about Jesus' confession, excuse me, David's confession of his sin with Bathsheba. He says, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. And you say, wait a minute. You sinned against Bathsheba. You sinned against Uriah. You had him murdered. Listen to me. Once you commit to rebel against God, there's no limit to what you will do to other people. Once you begin to rebel against God, there is no limit to what you will do to other people. And that's why it's so important that we understand the pathos, we understand the conviction behind what the Bible says that all of us have sinned. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so I invite you this morning to give your heart to Christ, to own your sin. And here's the second track. If you've sinned against somebody in your family or in your job or in your community, take a shower by going to them and own it. If you've gossiped about them, own it and say, I am so sorry. If you've stolen something from your company, go to them and say, I'm so sorry, and make restitution. 
Don't drag your sin around waiting to be exposed. Don't drag your sin around waiting to be found out. Don't drag your sin waiting that someone is going to discover that ugliness that you've been hiding in your life. You know it's there. You hate that it's there. You despise, but you don't know what to do. One of the first things you have to do in a marriage or in a family or in a relationship is to own your sin, but then make restitution to it because secret sins, they damage you, they damage damage your marriage, they damage your children, they damage your company, they damage your church. If you're going to be free, you have to address the people you've sinned against. If you're going to be free, you've got to address this. But let me be very careful, and honey, if you'd come on up to the piano, please, because sometimes people get carried away with this. You only confess your sin to the people that are affected by it. You only confess, for instance, if I sin against Becky, I go to Becky and say, I'm sorry. If I sin against my family, I go to my family and I say, I'm sorry. Because if I don't, every time I see Becky's face, I'm stabbed with pain. And there are probably some people that when you see them, you're stabbed with pain. There's a man in our community that several years ago lied about me. I confronted him, he apologized. Then he went out and did the same thing again, so I went to him with a brother in Christ, confronted him, he did it again, and then he left. And to this day, every time he sees me, he hides, he tries to get away. Not to be mean, but several times I've just saw him and just got in his way grabbed him and hugged him, told him, and I do, I love him. But unconfessed sin has a way of making you want to hide from people. Unconfessed sin has a way of making you want to hide from God. You don't hang all your dirty laundry out to everybody. I grew up in a period of time when I was in college that all of a sudden, there was some bad teaching from the book of James that was going around. Confess your sins and your faults to one another that you may be healed. And you don't confess to everybody. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just being frank with you. I pray this never happens. But if I, ever, <clears throat> if I ever sinned against this church, I would stand here in this pulpit and I would confess it because it affects this church. I would confess it to this community because I would rather live my life free to be able to look at the people that I've asked forgiveness for than to hide. I wouldn't propose, listen to me, don't miss what I'm saying. I wouldn't propose to live 15 seconds outside of the will of God. There is such peace and there is such joy and there is such liberty because God's got your back. Did you hear me, church? God's got your back. I don't think you heard me. God has got your back. God has got your back. You say, well, what if they don't forgive me? My forgiveness doesn't depend upon whether someone forgives me or not. I cannot control the response of anybody. I can't control Becky's response. I can't control my children's response. I can't control your response. I can't control the community's response. 
But once I've done the right thing according to God's word, I'm free. And if I'm free, I can mount up on the wings of an eagle. I can run without being weary for those who wait upon the Lord, those who serve God. Friends, I'm telling you, you can get something accomplished in this life. God will make you free. I've seen all kinds, listen, I've seen all kinds of bitter, small-minded, tiny, weenie-minded little people who sit around bitter, even when someone has asked them to forgive them because they rather hold on to their bitterness. They'd rather taste that bile in their mouth than to release somebody from their judgments. But the sad thing is that other person, they're free and you're the ones in chains. That other person is growing. That other person is glowing and you may not like it, but you can't change it. Because once God has forgiven you of your sins, you are free. You shall know the truth and you shall be free, free indeed. Can we give him one more hand of praise this morning? Somebody sat in my office not long ago and says, but pastor, I deserve justice. And you're right. Sin deserves justice. Sin deserves justice. Forgiveness deserves justice. But would every one of you please look at that cross. There's where justice was satisfied. Jesus paid a price. Jesus paid the debt. Jesus died not for sins he committed. Jesus died for our sins. And we look to the blood, the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ that frees us from every sin and cancels the debt. That's what redemption means. Justice, it's already been provided. There's something called restitution. If you've stolen, I just told you a few minutes ago from your company, restore. If you broke trust, I just told you a few minutes ago, rebuild trust. Restitution is different than justice. But justice was satisfied by the blood of Jesus. And if the blood of Jesus doesn't satisfy you, I don't know what will. Whenever I get a shower, my family will tell you this. I just love how I feel. If you live down south, sometimes I take three and four showers a day. It's so hot and humid in the summertime. I remember when I went into the ministry, my car didn't have air conditioning. My daddy told me, he said, fella, you've got to buy another car. I says, this car's good, daddy. Because we had these little vent windows. You remember those? You'd turn it in and the wind would blow on you, you know? That's all I ever knew, you know? We didn't get an air-conditioned car until I was in college, the family. And he said, buddy, he says, when you go to the hospital, and this is just the way daddy talked, he said, when you go to the hospital, you don't need, me, you don't need to be sweating like a stuck pig and going in to pray for people. <laughs> So he helped me go out and buy a car with air conditioning. I'll never forget that. When you get done with a shower, you feel good. And when we confess our sins, you feel good. You're not as irritable. You're not as grouchy. I mean, 
maybe some of you need a shower this morning. You don't need, no, you need a shower. He said, how do I know I need a shower, Pastor? I can't think of anything I've sinned. Well, maybe you're just a whiny hiney. Maybe you're just a fuss budget. Maybe you're just a grouch. You say, how do you know? The Bible says so. The Bible says love is not irritable. Love's not grouchy. Love's not complaining. Love's not whining. And love doesn't keep a record of every wrong thing that's done. Love covers a multitude of sins. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I thank you for the amazing grace you give us. I thank you that for every family and marriage in here, there's fun in the family room. There's deep spiritual, spiritual nourishment at the dining room table. I thank you that there's the sanctity of the bedroom. That what that bedroom teaches our children and gives to them stability and peace. And I thank you that all of us need a shower. It's why you taught us to pray daily. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So this morning, would you just kind of do a self-audit of yourself this morning? Do you need to say to God, I'm sorry? I own this. I agree with you. Is there somebody you need to go to? Not to everybody, but just somebody in particular you need to go to and say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Is there some restitution that you need to make? And you may need counsel there, and one of our pastors or one of our small group leaders will be happy to help you with that. How do you go about that? And can we all just ask ourselves the question Are we fun to be around? Are we growing? How, am I, how have I grown since last year? How have I learned how to handle my emotions in a healthy way? And are we keeping our bedrooms a sacred place and our minds sacred spaces? And then we can ask ourselves this question, am I irritable? I'll just be honest with you, not that I need to confess this to everybody, but Becky just recently set me down and says, what's going on? I said, what do you mean? She said, you've been snappy lately. So I told her some things I had been thinking about and trying to process and there was such healing. Oh my goodness. Even that night as Becky put her arms around me and hugged me and kissed me and prayed for me. She told me somebody specifically that she'd heard me snap at. And I went to them 
I said, I am so sorry. And there was such grace and such forgiveness. Are you irritable? Then deal with that before the Lord this morning. And then go to the people that maybe your irritability is hurt. And now I told you just a few moments ago, God's got you where he wants you. You've heard he loves you. So if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, or if you've wondered from your faith, would you pray this prayer with me? Just pray it quietly. Say, Lord Jesus, I own my sin. And I thank you that you paid the price. That you paid the price of justice for me. I could have never paid for my sin. But you shed your blood so that I could be saved. So that I could be adopted as a son or a daughter of God. And I don't understand it all. But as much as I know how, I enthusiastically give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Well, let's give the Lord one more hand of praise for what he's done this morning. Ushers, if you get ready, we're going to receive our tithes and our offerings. I'm going to ask you to stand as we get ready to give our gifts to the Lord. Pastor Rick will come and close the service. Rick, would you bring me one of those cards? Just come join me on the platform, please, sir. Let's everyone stand this morning, and as we pray, we're going to lift up our gifts to the Lord. Somebody bring me a communication card. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. Come on up. If you gave your heart to Jesus this morning, right here on the back, it's just a little checkbox. I committed my life to Jesus today. If you want to know more about being baptized or becoming a follower of Christ, maybe you feel like you want to give your life to Jesus, but you really, you don't understand it all yet. There's a box you can check about becoming a follower of Christ, or if you'd like to be baptized, like you saw Nicole and Josiah this morning being baptized. And wasn't that beautiful? I'm so glad I got to be here for that today, guys. But fill this out and at least give me your email address. Uh, you can fill out all of it, but I'd love to respond to you. And if you would like to get our messages and you don't get them, be sure we have your correct email address so that we can send you an email and let you know what's going on at the church. But right now, if you're our guest today, please feel free to let the offering bags or offering baskets pass you by. We're just delighted you're here today. But this is one of the ways we worship God is by bringing our tithes and we bring our offerings to the Lord. So let's lift our gifts up to the Lord today. Father, we take the tithes and the offerings that belong to you we trust you. Just as Daddy taught us at the table, Lord, it is God that gives us everything. We thank you for the work that you've given us. We thank you for the provision that you've made. But Lord, it is a joy to bring back and give to you what is yours as an offering of worship. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you as you give.